Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity worlds where we're all at home quarantined. We know that the working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to a special edition of our podcast. Uh, today we're talking about technicals. We are joined by Ed Hutton, the technical analyst for FIS. Uh, hello, Ed. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Thanks, Chris. Um, thank you for uh, having me on here today. Um, it's really appreciate to talk about um, what I think is a very interesting subject. Um, just before we start, um, I would just like to say that we write the technical analysis independently of the physicals and the fundamental. Now, obviously... If we do this so that we, when we write them, we don't have a clouded view because we want to have an independent view of the market. Now, obviously, if you can see that, say, in freight market, the physical is absolutely flying and you're seeing a sell signal, then, you know, they're supposed to work together. Um, and if they're contradicting each other, then, you know, that would be a dangerous game to play. You're trying to use them to enhance the trading ability, not to not as a standalone. That is, uh, I just want to make that clear. That's a, a good start for us. So I'm sure that there'll be people who currently use technical analysis listening and those who haven't an idea at all about how to use it or anything. So why don't we start at the beginning, Ed, and give us a kind of outline. Where where's technical analysis come from and you know where did it start? Well, from what I can see um, in uh, my readings is that they started, I think, in the uh, 17th century um, or maybe uh, early 18th century from uh, a Japanese rice trader who basically was marking down the open high low close of um the the daily market and he what he he started realizing that there was patterns there was patterns to markets in forms of rejections or bullish candles bearish candles um they were named japanese candlesticks just purely on the fact that they have like they can have like a full body and a wick and therefore they look like a candle um, the guy's uh, name was Homer, and he went on to be uh, the most successful rice trader in uh, in Japan at the time and became very famous. And that was the very start of technical analysis of any format. Um, you know, it's like 300 years ago. Um, and since then, it's developed into something that, although 100 years ago was not really taken seriously, it was a case of like back in the 1920s, 1930s, you had like the likes of W.D. Gann and Charles Dow. And, you know, they were making some really good points about the market just based on what they were seeing on, you know, correlations between prices, trends and stuff like that. And and, and from there, it's basically come from there to what it is today, you know, in the last 30 years with the introduction of the computer. And we're not sitting here using our own graph paper building charts. It's become very, very popular. And it's really taken off recently, especially with the computing power that we have now. You have all those funds, those quant funds that really use this to do a lot of their trading without much human input now. Yeah, um, the algorithmic trading thing is um, is something that is new again over the last few years. And it's it's become very, very big. You know, people will either, they can look at it two ways with these algos. You know, some of them are purely based on technical price movement. Um, I spoke to a guy um a couple of years back, funny enough, uh, over a new year. And he was working for a, a company out of Singapore, a bank out of Singapore. And they were at the point where the algos had got so efficient, they were making trading decisions based on the bid offer spread. So these things have become very, very complex and very, very uh, developed. But there are many of them out there still that are looking for price patterns, um, momentum patterns, and 
just literally looking for uh, something that they would look for a statistical probability of producing um, a winning trade. And if it does, regardless of whether they think it will be winning or not, the system goes in because it's just basically trading probability. So let me bring on to my next question about, so why, why are we using technicals these days? Because, you know, you have all that information out there, all that news. What is it about technicals that adds something to a kind of more basic understanding of, of supply and demand economics of where price would be pushed? Ultimately, I think it's down to timing. Um, you know, if, if you're a fund manager and you want to be going long stocks or you need to hedge a position in iron or freight, um, it's a case of, you know, say you need to buy some futures and the market's coming down, you're going to be sitting there waiting for a particular buy signal to tell you that this has changed to try and get the most advantageous price. One of the big things that people do use is kind of the more fundamentals. That'd be what I imagined. Uh, I imagine people who, who currently don't use technicals are more comfortable with that being um, certain news have come out. A producer of iron ore in, in, in Brazil are looking for their, their forecast and they're going, we're going to be producing more and that effect on the market, the more fundamental elements to it. But technicals are, are somewhat aside to that, aren't they? Yeah, they, they are. They, yes and no is the, is the answer to that because obviously if something unexpected on the, on, on the newswire comes out, then obviously that's going to affect market price um, and there's nothing you can do from that from a technical point of view because it's something that's un, unexpected. But as a whole, people are using the analysis in conjunction with the fundamental because it's, you know, if you are seeing, for instance, the market's in a bear trend and you're looking for a, a signal, you, you think the trend's nearing the end and you're looking for a signal for the market to turn. That might be from a particular form of bullish candlestick. It could be from the simple um, basics of a high, 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 low producing on maybe, a, 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 a you know, the daily chart or the weekly chart. Um, but what, what you'll be using it for is to say, okay, right, so I think the fundamental is looking like, um, although it's definitely bearish, I think there is a reason we're seeing green shoots on the fundamental. I want to be getting ready to buy something. So now I should look at the technical and look for the best point of entry for, to increase my probability of making a successful trade. So there is a relationship between these kind of fundamental things and, and technicals that you're using. And you have to use one with the other is what you're saying. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, ultimately, um, there are traders out there that just use technical analysis. Um, and on one sense, I get that if you're in, say, a currency market and you're just trading in and out or you've got a system that follows a trend. Um, but what you'll see is, you know, if you're a fundamentalist looking at the fundamentals of the market and you're seeing seeing the fundamental change, so you're going to go in and the first thing you can say is like, well, okay, I think this is going to go up. I'm going to buy it. Now, there are other people who look at these fundamentals who are going to be saying the same thing and that's going to move price. So the leading indicator for that would be, well, if the price is moving, then it's 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 going to reflect, reflect on your technical chart. So if the clever money, as it's known in equities, you know, the, the big funds or if you're a ship owner or a mine owner, you know, the, these guys are going to see stuff a little bit earlier than other people. And the first thing they're going to do is go into the market. And when they do go into the market, they will move the price. And that is where we come in. So you're never going to be as fast as someone that owns owns a ship, perhaps that's got his hands on the physical. But you know, if that is just geographically located to one basin, that doesn't mean that the whole the whole of the futures are going to change. But if 
we see price moving up, moving up, then that will have a follow-on effect on 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 the on the actual trend and the the movement of price itself and the momentum of price. And other times where kind of fundamentals are more important than technicals, I, I imagine that people will be well aware of when the president of the United States uh, tweets, and there there is a huge reaction in certain markets. We've seen it in the oil markets, and yet more in quieter times. Uh, do the technicals kind of bring out more? Do, what kind of thing do you think on that? Um, I think, yeah, if you have, um, I, I refer to uh, the tweets from uh, from the White House, you know, they're more like, in, rather than the black swan, they're a white swan because they do move markets and they move them aggressively. And if there's enough of them, they can literally change the directional course of the market, the, the bigger trend. When does technical analysis come into the fore? I think in trending environments, um, it's very, very useful because, um you can add certain indicators to measure the movement of momentum. You can see uh, the continuation of the daily price based on higher highs and higher lows. Um, so, for instance, uh, and I'm talking about individual candlesticks here. If a technical price you know, or, or during each day, a technical candle is going up, it's making a new high each day and it's not making a new low, then it's telling you that price is, is bullish out there. So from that point of view, um, you'll look at it and you'll and you'll say, okay, right, we're in trend. We have a trending environment alongside us, and we're still seeing price momentum pushing upwards. You know, the candlestick low of this day is above the midpoint of the uh, the previous day's candlestick, and it's making a new high. It's bullish, and vice versa. Let's move on to. You've already alluded to some of the things, uh, some situations, and where you can use technical analysis to give you a better picture of where the market's going to be moving. And um, what a really important thing about technical analysis is historical data. Yes. I wonder if we could, we could just start with that. And an obvious person, or a person who's probably not had any experience of this would go, well, you've looked at all historical data. Of You as a technical analyst can look at it and go, now I can predict the future. Is it as simple as that? Um, I think... I, I, I think um, there are, I mean, there's something called Elliott Wave in the market that looks at psychological footprint um, of, ba- of basically how human behavior almost um, in, in the form of wave analysis. That to an extent has an effect, but that possibly um, is maybe not as powerful as it used to be as we highlighted because of like, you know, Twitter, the White House, social media. Um, you can make price predict- predictions based on previous movements. Yes. Can you make exact price uh, predictions? Well, uh, um, I'm doubtful of that. But what you can say is, you know, if the market moved back, moved up, um, say, $10, pulls back $5, you can probably work out so a predictive movement from, the, from that, that movement to say, okay, we've got somewhere between another $5 to $10 move coming. And you using Fibonacci, uh, Fibonacci projections, you can then get yourself target levels and measure the market. It's not a case of it hits a target, it needs to okay, it's time to get out, unless you're seeing technical indicators saying so. But what that allows you to do is to safely use um, a management of risk by maybe moving your stop higher on your position so that if it does turn, then you take some money out of the market. And if it doesn't, and it continues to go towards your next target, you can raise your stop level uh, behind it and effectively follow the trend. So you're saying that previous movements, whatever those be, uh, and then what has happened currently right now in the market can then give you an indicator of levels to watch, which will yes. then give you an idea of where you think the market is. Yeah, without a doubt. At. I mean, there's a classic example in the Panamax August futures at the moment. Um, 
early last week, it might have been the week before, I think it was actually the week before, we um, we highlighted the fact that the relative strength index, which is a momentum indicator, and it basically measures up days against down days over a set period of time. And we, we noted that this, this indicator is effectively what they say is it's oversold over below 30 and overbought over 70. That's, that's not actually the case because it can be, you know, in a trending environment, um, it will stay above 70 or below 30. But what we, we noted was that the RSI was at 26 on, um, I think it was a four-hour chart, so an intraday chart. And last time it had been down at that level, between the 26 and 21 level on in a downside market, in the sell-off uh, last year, we'd had three counter-trend moves where the market had jumped between 18 and 27%. So we've sent out a note saying, look, you know, you're at a key support level within your uh, momentum, not necessarily your price, but with your momentum. And we, we highlighted the fact that we'd had an average of a 22% move to the upside going against the trend um, in on the previous three uh, three times it had been down at this level on the RSI. Um, and subsequently, um, we sent that out and we had, um, well, I had a couple of uh, clients coming on saying, is this the bottom? And I said, I don't know if it's the bottom, but. I do feel that it's definitely oversold. There's an upside move that could be significant up to $2,000 in, in the futures. Um, and we've actually, I mean, on Friday, we hit the 26, 27% level um, that it moved. So the upper end of that scale. And this morning, it's opened up even further um, because of quarantine rules and stuff like that. I don't, didn't predict, predict the markets go any further. But what I was highlighting was the fact that here it's looking very, very oversold. We have um instances at these levels where the market has moved this much the probability of this uh, of this happening again is increasing um and we just put it out into the market and you know the following day following that day in fact we had a bullish technical close on the candlestick and then we subsequently saw market movement increasing with it this is weighing up of probabilities of of future action by what you're seeing currently in essence yeah without a shadow of a doubt i mean just because if you read a technical analysis book and say, oh, look, there's a ball candle, um, I'm going to buy it, then there's a good chance that it's going to go in your in your face. You're going to lose money. You need to have a look at the price along with certain other indicators um, in the market and then test that theory. You know, following something blindly is not going to make you money. But if you are seeing like a ball candle, which is the result of the RSI being in a certain place and the RSI is where it is, then the probability of the market going up has just increased dramatically and having a continuation. When we talk about historicals, um, is there a kind of maximum you need to look at or there are differences depending on what length of time you're looking at for those indicators and other signs? Depends what sort of trader you are, um, is the honest truth to that. I mean, there are going to be some massive funds that will look at daily movement in price and consider it noise. They might have a macro view on something, and then they'll so they'll so they'll only follow the weekly chart, and until and so therefore they're looking at trends that may be to six months to two years, um, whereas the vast majority will be looking at smaller time frames on the daily chart, and they'll be looking, uh, you know, time frames of six days to ten days. Um, it was noted in Japanese candlesticks in Steve Nissen's book back in the nineteen eighties that. Um, you know, the Japanese county candles, you know, they looked and each market is is different, obviously, but they noted in equity markets that 
you often saw some form of exhaustion between eight and 10 days. And so they would be looking, they'd be counting candles. And if you had like eight days of upside moves and then they saw a bearish candle, they would either vastly reduce their risk in, take some of the trade off or exit altogether and then wait for, for, for new signals. Was it a classic case of uh, flipping a coin if you've had uh, eight heads in a row, then uh, you're willing yourself that the next will be tails? Yeah, um, to an extent, there is that. I mean, there are um, some 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 analysts over that out there that will argue the the fact that you can throw a dart at the dartboard for to find out if it's buy or sell. But if you've got a good risk management system, um, then over the long run you can make money. How true that is, I don't know. But risk management is is the key to technical analysis, um, which is why we measure volatility in the market by a true range. Because if you start exceeding these levels, um, uh, or your true react true range starts decreasing, then you know that there's some kind of form of momentum change coming. So we've talked about a lot of technical language, uh, a brief introduction to the history, uh, and then to talking about historicals, how you should be using them. What is the overall goal of uh, of technical analysis? So why don't we go into some of these terms to give a little bit more more color, a bit more information on them, so people know what we're referring to and can go forward and really start to invest investigate technicals a bit more. So. Price is the first one, a leading indicator. Um, price is really important right now to give you the color of, of what's happening in the market, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, as, as we highlighted um, a few minutes ago, um, ultimately, if something's changing on the physical, the fundamental, um, then traders will react to that. And the very first thing that is going to change more than any other indicator is price. That is the ultimate lead indicator. So if your price starts making a higher high, um, uh, adding hasn't broken a previous resistance level, then you know that there's a change coming in the market. So that will pick everything up before any other kind of indicator. And so it's your early warning signal. And then another one you talked about earlier in this in this podcast is footprint. Um, yes. What do we mean by a, a footprint? Well, a footprint is, so a market goes up for 10 days and moves $10 and then comes off for four days and moves $3 and then carries carries on moving back up and goes above the previous high uh, of the $10 high, then the technical footprint is the, of the market itself. It's make, made a high, it's pulled back, it's made a higher low in the market, and it's gone on to make a higher high. And this is the ultimately the most important part of the market. Very simply, markets making higher highs and higher, and, and higher highs and higher lows are not bearish. This is just not physically possible. Um, they are the trend of the market is bullish and therefore price is telling you the market is bullish. And until that changes, no matter what your indicator says, the market is still considered bullish. And that's when I talk about footprint. I look at the basic footprint of every market to see if it's making higher highs and higher lows or some people would know that swing highs and swing lows in the market. But it's just ultimately it's the same thing. The market goes up to a certain level. It comes down, but doesn't make it uh, doesn't go as low, goes up and makes a higher level. That's the footprint of the market. And while it's still doing that and making higher highs and higher lows, it's bullish. The moment it breaks um, one of these lows, that is changing to either a corrective phase or a bearish phase. So in effect, it's a retrospective relative view of where we are now, depending on what happened previously for, for highs and lows. That's exactly what it is. Yes, that's correct. So why don't we could uh, briefly go through what are the different types of, of footprint and what that would be indicating? So you said... Higher highs and higher lows is a bullish indicator. Yes. Okay, right. So if we go back to the higher high and higher low, so you go up 
um, $10. You come off $3 and then say you go up $2 and then come down and make a lower low. That's still within the big $10 wave, the first big $10 move. That would mean that the market is corrective rather than bearish. It's only when you overtake the last bullish wave or the last bearish wave as a whole does that change. And that's very important and confuses a lot of people. People see a market pulling up, failing to make a new high, coming low, and they say, right, the market's bearish, it's a sell. At this point, if it's within the last big move up that made the ultimate high, that market is still in a corrective phase. It's not considered bearish until it's broken the low of the, the, of the last high wave. At that point, you see a directional change in the market. And that's very, very important. It's very hard to illustrate without within a podcast. But when you actually see a picture of it, it's really, really straightforward. And it's something that I illustrate on our charts quite a lot. I'll be referring to something that's corrective because it's within the last bull wave or the last bear wave. And it's not bearish or bullish until it takes that out. And it's, 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 that's really, really fundamentally important to technical analysis is to understand that difference. So in effect, you have that range created by that first initial move and thing, any movement within that could be, you know, continuing on that bullish move in the example you gave or be partly corrected because it's still within that initial range until you break out of that, it continues in in that. I'd say that was a much better explanation than I actually gave you. That is exactly what it is. Yes, that's correct. Okay, well, John B's payment, his salary is now being justified. There we are. Perfect. Exactly. But as you say, you know, Ed, for listeners, Ed does his technicals and um, I'm sure that a lot of this will play into understanding that more uh, and you can see it much easier illustrated than, than you said on a podcast. But it's, I guess it's where a lot of people come unstuck, as you said, that because they see something moving slightly down now or it hasn't gone through a certain level, everything's changed. Let's, let's just throw the kitchen sink out. It's, it's going to be moving the opposite way in whatever direction we thought. But a lot of that is behind kind of momentum where the market's moving. And I wonder if you could give a bit more illustration, a little more explanation of when we talk about price momentum and, and candlesticks, what are we specifically looking for and what kind of effect can that have on the market? Well, let's start with the uh, candlesticks on this one. Um, if a market is going up $2 a day, and then all of a sudden it's only going up $1 a day or it's gone up $2 but failed to maintain its highs and it's come off a dollar. So it's still only up $1 a day, but it's got some form of rejection to the upside. Momentum is telling you that it's slowing because more sellers are entering the market because if the market was still strong, it would still be going up $2 every single day. So when it, when you start closing you know, um, only a dollar up or you've, you've rejected from the upside or you're closing below the mid price of the previous day's uh, movement, then there are warning signs based on price that the actual momentum towards the upside would be slowing down. This doesn't mean that the market is necessarily going to be bearish, but it does mean that the market's either taking a breather or you've got a, a situation where the, the buyers are just stepping back rather than the sellers are taking control. And But what that is telling you is that we're into a transitional stage in the market. Referring to um, momentum, there's many, many different momentum indicators. And it's very, very, very important to not have loads of these indicators on your chart. Um, find one that you like or two that you like. Um, 
and and look at them. It's that that's down to personal choice. I like the RSI, um, just purely because I, I I use it on certain time periods. It can vary between markets, but I tend to use it slower than we normally see in the textbook of fourteen period. I use it on a twenty one period because. The slower it is, if it goes above 50, then it's confirming that there's bullish momentum in the market. Um, the momentum itself on the RSI would be measured by, it would look at closes, up closes on the previous seven days versus down closes. And the mathematical formula will tell you from that whether the RSI momentum is up or whether it's down. Um, and by doing so, you can see um, when you look at a chart, for instance, if you've made a new high in price, the market comes back 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 and then makes another new high and you're looking at your trend and you're saying price is bullish but your momentum indicator is saying yes price is bullish right here and now right now but based over a set period of say the last 21 days it's not quite as bullish as it looks it's bullish in the very very short term and what you see then is the rsi won't make a new high and price has this is a this isn't a sell signal but it is a warning that the although you're seeing a technically bullish footprint momentum is starting to slow down and it just it, again it's a warning to change your risk risk parameters to maybe tighten them up a little bit in case there's a directional change in the market um so there's a, a point sorry. in time where you might go we've we've done very well in our analysis of this previous uh movement yet because of what we're seeing in terms of momentum changes what we're seeing in terms of perhaps some of uh, the footprint changes or moving out what we said previously of looking at that initial movement, whatever that be, a bearish move, a bullish move, and we're seeing it's come towards some of those uh, those parameters. It might be a time to reevaluate what you think technically is going to be going to be doing now. Next. Yes, it, it, it's it's ultimately it's all about the risk. Um, so if you were thinking of entering the market on an, on a fresh open position, you would be doing so knowing that if you did, you're doing it on potentially a very short term basis. Because the, the there are signs that the the trend is exhaustion, exhausting. If you have a very large position on, and but you are ultimately fundamentally long term bullish, what you might tend to do is maybe take some of that position off and try and then re-enter the market at a lower level. Or you just might be a trader that's been in for a short period of time and you looked at the divergence and say, do you know what? I just want to take profit. It might go up another three four dollars. I don't care. Um, let's wait for the wait for the next move. Another point, another term you use on your technical analysis is the pivot point. Yes. If you could talk a bit more about that. Um, I think just because it's I, I, it's commonly used, certainly in the oil market where you are, Chris, I and mean, a lot of the day traders use, use this. So in your market, it's particularly important. Um, but I've, I think it's important in every every market. And the reason why is because it, the pivot point is basically the high price, the low price and the close price divided by three. And it gives you a mid price um, and it's known as the balance point in the market. So if your intraday technical or your weekly technical is above these, these balance points, then it's telling you that the movement is still quite bullish. But once you start going below this balance point, it's saying, look, hey, guys, something's changed in the market. Um, you know, if you should be if you're having bullish momentum in a market or you should be staying above this uh you shouldn't really be going be, uh, below this pivot point and if you're having bearish momentum you shouldn't be going above the pivot point it's it's a natural form of resistance or support that is used in the market specifically by day traders to give them an idea so for instance in the freight market if you see the freight market with 
in a bullish trend generally anyway, you know, it's making its higher highs and higher lows. Your RSI is above 50 and it's a bullish trend. And the market opens above its pivot point and the first hour, two hours, whatever time frame you look at, pushes above away from that pivot point. It's telling you the intraday technical remains bullish. And so for those short period traders, mate, we'll be thinking, okay, well, my resistance level um, is a little bit higher from here. So I'm just going to try and get in and try and maybe nick a small trade, take a small trade out of the market. And that's how it's used by day traders a lot. Um, it was used on a longer term. So uh, someone might look at it and say, we're above the weekly pivot point, the high low, close, high low close of the weekly candlestick. And they'll look at the daily candlestick and they'll say, okay, the daily candlestick's opened up higher. It's pushed, it's closed higher for the day. We remain in a bullish trend. My technical indicators support this. My physical supports this. Let's just get in and go with it. So it's a really good early warning sign to see. We've previously seen what's happened uh, high, low uh, and close in terms of, of pricings and where we're going forward. And, you, and again, we're talking about difference of time frame and how you use it. For interday traders, they use it, as you said, in, in the oil market, it's very common. But you can also use it on a lot wider scale and that oh. gives you that kind of early warning point. So I wonder if we could talk a bit more about time frame. Well, so a lot of people will will be looking at this going, well, where do I start? Am I going to be doing it for a week? Am I just looking at the intraday? And I know a lot of that will depend on the commodity, but I want to talk a little bit talking on uh, on time frame for a while. Well, if I was looking at, um, say, a chart with daily candlesticks on, um, then we saw a close below the daily pivot point. That would That would be an immediate alert to me that something is changing in weakness in the market. Now, if you are trading on uh, an intraday and you're just getting in and out uh, on, a, you know, you don't hold overnight positions, then using that daily pivot point is a very useful indicator for you to maybe every time you hit that pivot point to buy it. And if you go below the pivot point, close it and then look for some kind of upside test. The same time is if you are, you know, not a day trader, you'd be then looking at the weekly pivot point and you'd be saying, OK, um, I'm going to trade the daily candlesticks based on the high low close, high low close of the weekly, um, of the weekly price, and you could then use a, a different time frame um, of daily compared to say using a one hour chart or a two hour chart. Conversely, you can still use monthly pivot points, yearly pivot points. Yeah, you know, it it goes on quarterly pivot points. Um, these are all going to be key levels that people um, should keep an eye on because different traders trade different timeframes. For instance, as we discussed, you know, you might be a long-term macro fund and you don't care about what the daily is doing. You have no real care about what the intraday is doing. But if price closes below the, mid the midpoint of the monthly, you might be saying, well, actually, this is time to take some of my risk off um, because it, it, it's looking a little bit vulnerable. So timeframes depends on the whether you're day trading, whether you're hedging, um, and, it, and just opportunity at times. You know, you might just be a case of, I'm a hedger, um, and I need to be uh, I need to be covering some uh, some positions here and buying futures. Um, and so you'll just look at that pivot point and say on the intraday and say, OK, right, I'm going to put some risk on now um, because the intraday is telling me that it's bullish. And then if I see this going above and closing above, say, the weekly pivot point, then I'll increase that risk dramatically and, and start covering more positions and just use it um, to, to, to scale into positions. Our final lead indicator that I wanted to just talk about briefly before going on to uh, some more lagging indicators was volume and open interest. These are um, really key. 
Um, and it's one of the big frustrations we have in the freight market that we don't have the volume and open interest every day, but we do have it in oil, iron ore, grains, and most other markets because they're screen based. Um, but this is, this is really important. If your market is going up, your volume is going up and your open interest is going up, then it's telling you that new money is entering the market and they're pushing the price higher and that the trend is basically changing towards the bull side um, and people are getting in, into this market. Now, 10 days later, you might be in a trend and what you're seeing is the price is still going up, but the open interest is starting to drop. So you'll be looking at it and saying, well, that means that people that are already in the market, they're now getting out. Some more people are closing positions than they are opening fresh positions in the market. And that's warning you that there's a potential that the trend is changing. Now, volume's good because if you hit a key support or resistance level and you hold and you see this big volume day, that's telling you that the market, the big, the big funds or the big shippers or the big miners, they think this is an important place for them to go into the market. And they're getting into the market in size. They're, they're, they're buying in volume and they're basically holding the support level and protecting and defending the support level. So that's a very, very important one. Now, volume has a, another really interesting uh, fact that is, it, it, I think is very, very important. If, for instance, you're in a, I'm using bull trend, but this works both ways. If your trend is going up and then all of a sudden we start dropping in price, but volume, which has been very, very strong, is very, very light, then that's also a very good signal because what it's telling you, it's not telling you that technical sellers are defending prices and entering the market. What it's telling you is that buyers think it's a market a bit high, so they've stopped buying and they're waiting. They're happy for the market to pull back before they re-enter the market. So prices that have been going up and then start coming down on low volume are actually regarded as technically bullish. So the market will drop back to a certain level and the buyers will be like, okay, this is this is a more, you know, let's get back into the trend now and they'll start buying and you'll start seeing the volume increase on the uptrend again. So I guess you could use these two as a quite clear indicator of what other people are looking at on their technicals in terms of volume increasing, people seeing this as a, a good entry point to the market, uh, open interest coming down because they're taking off risk or increasing because people see this again as a good time to be putting in fresh fresh positions rather than you know stagnant OI yet prices changing means that people are probably coming in and out of positions quite a lot so it can tell you quite a lot from these these two points oh they're a, they're, they're a fantastic indicator if used properly um, especially um, if you then start applying them to say a candlestick pattern or a higher high and higher low in the market I mean absolutely fantastic because you know if you're sitting there saying well hold up um, we're coming off on low volume. And then all of a sudden you see a bull day come in um, with a higher high, higher low. You're still, you're, you're still in a bullish trend with your momentum and your volume's up. And if a perfect scenario, your open interest has increased again, then you are going to enter the market from a technical buyer side and just say, yes, there is a probability I'm wrong, but the statistical odds of me being right are dramatically increased because they're supported by other, other signals within the market. So we've gone over a lot of those primary leading indicators. Why don't we go on to a quick overview of some, some lagging indicators? We've already done uh, the RSI, the Relative strength, strength Index, in the previous section. So what about moving averages? Is that something you highlight in your, in your reports? Yeah. Um, 
we call them a lagging indicator because you know a moving average is basically uh, the average price over the last ten days, um, and there are different forms. There's forms of moving averages. The exponential moving averages is a weighted moving average, so it looks more at they say the, out of the last ten days, it gives more credence to the, the last five days of price action. So it's a bit faster moving. Um, and then you have some that are based on volatility. There are many different moving averages. I actually quite like just the simple moving averages and the weighted moving averages. Um, I don't think you need to be too clever about this. Um, if price goes above moving average, then they're telling you that potentially price is changing. Now, if price goes against above the moving average, but your moving average is pointing down in a massive straight line, then it's telling you that the actual trend of the market is is still bearish so the fact that you're going above this moving average it could be telling you that there is a good chance that the market is just having a breather a counter trend move and it's going to go back down because you're going into a natural resistance point based on the trend and or the trending average of price and this is really these are really good so that's why people use something called multiple moving averages so on our charts you'll see i use an eight period moving average and a 21 period moving average firstly if the moving averages cross it does tell you that there's been a change in trend. Um, but I wouldn't read too deeply in that when you first cross. What you want to see is the shorter period moving average converging away from the faster period moving average, the slower period moving average. So first, basically, you know, if you've got an eight and 21 period moving average, if that eight period moving average is moving away from the 21 period moving average, it's telling you that momentum strength is increasing. And this um, this is a really key indicator because what will happen then is if you then close below your short term moving average, you'll find some technical traders will close out a position just looking for a re-entry level. And then they'll wait and then they'll see. And if the price then goes back, holds against the slower period moving average and then start showing bullish candles again, they'll get back in and look into trend continuation. So they're very good at telling you where the trend is. It's very nice to see. So if you imagine you had a clock. And your moving averages were pointing at to 130 yeah, on the clock, then you'd say, well, the moving averages are at a nice trending angle. If the moving averages are, are at 430, they're a nice trending angle, but they're going down. And this is where they become very, very important, is when you see flat moving averages, your flat moving averages are pointing towards three o'clock in the afternoon, they're going sideways. That's telling you there's no trend in the market. That then tells you that you shouldn't be using your moving averages as technical support and resistance because the market is directionless. They'll whip around these moving averages. You know, there's no there's no trending environment. You've basically affected, entered a range. So you'll be better off in those situations is using, um, say, uh, a percentage band around your moving average and say, okay, if we move too far away from a flat moving average, there's a good chance we're going to see some kind of mean reversal back to the moving average because there's no trend. And it's only when these moving averages start turning and converging, whether it be up or down, um, do you look at it and say, OK, we're, in, we're now entering a trending environment and I should be looking for buy signals and pullbacks, et cetera, or sell signals on upside moves. You talk about trend lines. Um, we have a lot of data, a lot of analysis on, on these points, be that in terms of data on volume, data on relative strength index for different and different time periods for all of these. When we're putting trend lines on charts, is there an act towards you know standard ones you should be using? How you should those relate to the price which you're currently seeing at all? Well, I don't think you should be scared of moving more than using more than one trend line because you will have a short term trend and a longer term trend. 
Um, so, you know, you'd either use a, a primary trend line, a secondary trend line, and maybe even a tertiary trend line. Um, they're not something I actually use that much. I tend to use the higher, higher and the averages, but they're important because people look at them. You know, if, a, if you've had a support line that's been tested three times, it's from a from a technical point of view, based on what the books will tell you, you're in a trend. I suspect that it's, you know, if you give you a test a test a point twice, you can start marking a trend from there rather than waiting for the third price test. But what it's telling you is a bit like the moving average. You know, if your trend line is pointing up at 130, you're in a nice trend. If it's pointing up, you know, at 230, it's in a fairly weak trend and it's vulnerable. Um, if you um, break one trend line and you'll break your short-term primary trend line that's moving, been moving up aggressively, then your your next directional logical point of target will be for price to test the secondary trend line. But that would be from a technical trading point of view, its natural form of support after this. And they'll look at this and they'll say, okay, um, from a short-term trading perspective, I might want to go, go into the market. I might want to close longs. If the secondary trend line holds, which is the longer-term trend, then maybe we should get back into the market. If it breaks, then there's obviously something fundamentally changing in the market. And it's something which visually can help you when you're starting out looking at these technicals or perhaps you've got a new technical, give you that real visual look on, on what, what the market's doing to really help you understand rather than a, a table full of numbers, I imagine. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, a, there's, an, expre, uh, there's an expression in, um, in uh, technical analysis uh, called KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Um, keep as little little as you can on the chart um so keep the basics on the chart because if you start putting four different indicators of momentum 27 trend lines all over the place um you're not going to see anything you know if you've got 10 moving averages it's just going to be too much noise so just look for the secondary trend just look for the primary trend keep one momentum indicator that you you trust and if you really aren't sure there may be a second one but they should be telling you the same things momentum indicators i personally like the rsi but the Williams present R, the MACD, there's there's hundreds of them, and it's that, that's down to personal choice. Keep the chart clean, keep it simple, and that way you can see if something's changed fairly quickly. Let's finish up with a couple more things. Uh, stochastic, what Mr. is that? The stochastic is it, it, it's just another form of momentum indicator. It's like the RSI. Mm -hmm. um, I use it um, as a faster indicator than the relative strength, strength index. Um, to see overbought and oversold areas. Now, what I'm saying, what I'm about to say now is actually really important. So if you are looking at um, a trending environment and your RSI is above 50, the market pulls back and it enters into a counter trend move. Your RSI is still above 50. So you're looking at the market saying it's still bullish, but your stochastic, which has got a slower setting, a faster setting on it. So it's looking at say 12 days instead of 21 days has gone to oversold. I will then be looking for buy, buy entry points on the stochastic because I'll be saying, sitting there saying short-term momentum is now oversold, long-term momentum remains bullish, the trend remains bullish, we should be looking for buy indicators in the market here. Now, you see your buy signal, the market goes up and the stochastic goes to overbought. As far as I'm concerned, that then is not an indicator that I'm using the, because if you're in a trending environment and it's a fast moving indicator, it will go and it should hold and stay in this over overbought over 70 over 80 level for longer periods of time i'm only using the stochastic from a technical point of view for buy entries or sell entries with the trend 
I'm not using the stochastic or um, to, to look for overbought levels in a bullish trend. There is no point because it can stay at 80 or it can stay at 100. Um, if you look at the, the freight indexes as a classic example, for, for, for days, sometimes weeks, that's not going to tell you a market's overbought. It's just going to tell you when that stochastic pulls back within a bullish trend, that's when you should be looking for buy signals. And the final one is obviously hindsight makes a genius of us all. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure that's true of technical analysis as much as it is in life. Yeah. Uh, and I imagine that if you're coming in doing this technical analysis uh, for the first time, you start playing around with whatever fine things you find uh, particularly interesting or whatever average you, you use for your indicators. But hindsight is a real, real teacher, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think you only really learn if you lose money um, because um, you'll look back and you'll remember it more. Um, I think that on that basis, that if you're going to use technical analysis, then you should a backtest the entry signals that you're looking at. Um, and B, when you do start using it, I would start using it from a trading point of view. Because if, you, if you're a trader already and you're a physical trader, then you don't need to rush to look at your technical analysis. So maybe mark a dummy book down and say, OK, this is in line with what I'm seeing on my physical book. Um, but I will mark this down as, a, as, as where I would buy it on a dummy and just use a model to see how effective it is within your trading environment. You know, I don't believe that you should go in and follow stuff blindly. Um, I think you need to understand it um, and it takes time. You know, if you're becoming a carpenter, it can take four years for your apprenticeship. I don't think people understand technical analysis in one week. I think it takes years to actually use uh, and learn. And I think this is another very important note. I think the technical analysis, if you're looking at the bigger picture, is going to um, tell you what you are seeing within your trend. Um, but being a technical analysis can be very forgiving because um, you're not managing risk. So when you look at um, a technical chart, you also want to be looking at technical models. You want to be looking at buy signals. You want to be looking at exit signals. You want to be looking at sell signals, something that stands independent from the technical that you can then input with the technical and say, OK, the technical trend is bullish I'm, and I've got a technical buy signal. And historically, I've looked back and this has had uh, a 63% um, uh, return over five days, but a 72% turn that it's gone up the next day, then you know that there's a fairly good chance that if you play those averages, you're going to make money. So it's this looking back to look forward. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you, Ed, for, for joining for this special podcast where we've uh, looked at obviously the, the beginnings of technical analysis, where it's come from looked at a bit of kind of historicals, how we should be using them, to what extent we should be using them, what you need to get going, and those leading indicators and lagging indicators to give a bit more colour on the market. So I hope that listeners have a little bit more understanding of the technical market, but as you said, it, it takes a, a little bit of time, practice, uh, and maybe failure to really learn how to use this properly. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs>